What's up, everybody? It's Kevin from Pocono Raceway, and we are back for another episode of the 50 Years of the Tricky Triangle Celebration podcast. And today, we are talking with past crew chief Steve Latart. Obviously, now he works for NBC Sports uh, as a broadcaster, and he's a three-time Pocono winner as a crew chief. Uh, you might remember the sweep a couple years ago with Dale Earnhardt Jr. So we talked with Steve about that. We talked with Steve about how um, you know, people always say Pocono Raceway is such a strategy-based race. So we talked to him about, you know, how much fun he had calling the races up here at Pocono Raceway over, over the course of his career. Uh, and then we chat about some more fun things like like our infield block party and, and the fireworks show and, and the different things that you can expect to see when you come up to Pocono Raceway uh, back in the day when you, you were crew chief, when he was crew chiefing and obviously now for our doubleheader weekend coming up. So we had a great conversation with Steve. We hope you guys enjoy it. So let's hop right into it and enjoy the show. Awesome. Steve, thanks for making the time for this this morning. Uh, with three wins around Pocono Raceway, this ended up being your most successful track in the Cup Series, as far as wins go anyway, um, at a track that's known for being a nightmare for crew chiefs to set up for. Um, what was your approach, and how did you find ways to set cars up to be successful at a track so difficult to set up for? Well, I think what makes Pocono so much fun is that it is a challenge set up for three very different corners, but then the race itself is even probably more difficult. So first you have to get your car to handle well, and you have to find a way to break the race up to give yourself some track position. Um, I always looked at it real simple that the car has to work in turn three. The driver has to find a way to get through turn two and we could compromise in turn one. And that's kind of Pocono in a nutshell. The car has to be good in turn three leading up to the longest straightaway in NASCAR. Um, if you're playing defense down that straightaway, you're going to get beat all day. And then it's all about breaking down the race. And um, I think that was probably the most fun for me. We won one with Jeff Gordon laps past halfway in the rain. And then Dale Jr. and I swept in 2014. Uh, we got to get a little lucky in the first one. I'm not going to lie. I think Keselowski had us beat. He bobbled, gave us the lead. But the second one, uh, we found a way to kind of do it on our own. Well, and you... I want to get into all of those wins, but the fuel strategy as a whole, it seems like every Pocono race ends up being dictated in some way or some fashion by fuel strategy. What was your approach? And, and I guess what, what dictated what kind of a fuel strategy and fuel plan you were on throughout the course of a race week in Pocono? Uh, basically track position over anything else. Um, and I know that sounds silly, but it's so easy to get caught up in the race, the emotion of the race and continue to try to make your car better. Um, and the simple fact is your odds are going to be the best if you can work your way to the front. And we did that under basically any scenario and at all costs. And it didn't always work. Uh, you know, I don't know how many races I've run at Pocono, but we only won three, which means we lost way more than three. Um, so you can gamble and have it come up snake eyes and have it not work. But I think that you have to have the fear or you have to not have any fear is the point. You have to be willing to roll the dice. And more importantly, you have to have a driver who's just going to drive the wheels off it regardless of where you put them on the track. Um, it can be the best race of the year if you hit it right and nothing can be more helpless because normally the crew chiefs know they're on the wrong side of the strategy well before the race plays out and sitting up there knowing you hit it at the wrong time is a helpless feeling. And I think to that point, you know, we've asked every single person we've talked to about this, you know, uh, obviously you grew up in Maine. So, uh, running all the tracks up there and, um, what, from your perspective, uh, what was Pocono Raceway like as a kid growing up in your eyes? And then once you actually ran here, um, what was that difference of opinion between play and work? 
Well, so, you know, Pocono, one great thing about Pocono and in the, in, in the area and the races being in the summer is it just reminds me of summer vacation, right? It's a lot like where I grew up in Maine. It has kind of your local putt-putt and your local pubs and your local restaurants. And it's just a great camping atmosphere. Um, people talk about Talladega and Texas all the time. I'll put Pocono's infield against anybody's. Um, they have a great time. It's, it's crowded. It's rowdy. It's diehard fans. You feel it as soon as you come in the tunnel which is amazing. And then when you go there for the first time, what TV doesn't do justice is the speed and the size. Um, it just, it's amazing how large that track is from on top of the truck. You can barely see the tunnel turn. Um, and just the speed, uh, um, you know, unfortunately Jeff and I also, not only we have a win, we have probably one of his worst accidents of his career in turn one there. And that was a good reminder of just how fast these cars are handing into turn one. It's, it's, you know, well over 200 miles per hour. And uh, with those wins, we'll, uh, we actually talked to Jeff, and he gave us a pretty detailed look about the, 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 the breaks in turn one. So we're going we're gonna to skip that question because... If he just would have turned right, this is his words, <laughs> if he just would have turned right, it would have been way better off. Um, in uh, 2007, he talked about the rain-shortened win and, and kind of barely fending off Newman there. Um, obviously, the strategy related to weather you know, uh, up in the Northeast, right? Actually, anywhere, it seems like the, nowadays on the NASCAR tracks. Um, you know, how stressful was that moment, you know, with that weather decision and kind of how relieved were you to uh, kind of when the caution fell as it may? Oh, it, it, the timing couldn't have been any better, but that's just a perfect example of what Pocono gives as opportunity. We didn't have a winning car that day, um, but you just got to keep swinging. And, and some tracks do not give you that opportunity. If you get behind, you're behind, and, and you got to kind of live to fight another weekend. At Pocono, just the storybook of the racetrack changes. The storylines change, and you have to just continue to attack. And that was what it was that day. It was just plan A didn't work, B didn't work. I think we were on about plan, you know, G or H or L. We were deep, deep in the alphabet to try to figure out a way to get um, a little bit of an advantage around the rain. Newman was coming, coming quick. Um, Basically, about, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it rained in that corner because I think the next corner was a corner too late. So uh, sometimes you just get lucky. But I'm a big believer, and I talk about this from the analyst booth, you know, you have to make your own luck. We did get lucky on the timing on the rain, but we didn't get lucky with the strategy of staying out until it rained. I mean, that was a plan. Now, we're never going to say we were smart enough to know exactly when it was going to have to, but it was an educated plan that fortunately fell our way that day. And... I mean, still, that's probably the closest rain-shortened victory that I can recall because it looked like it was about half a car length going to turn two there. Um, going back, though, let's fast forward seven years to 2014. You mentioned the sweep with Dale Earnhardt Jr. Both of those days were very unique. Uh, those wins were not the same. Uh, what do you recall from that sweep, and, and how special was that? Because that came in a really magical season for both you and Dale. Well, I actually remember a year earlier, I thought we had Pocono one. Um, we were in the right position and Dale was vocal about the handling of the race car. And I, and I bailed off our strategy um, of saving fuel to try something else. And we never got our track position back. And I vowed that day, I wrote in my Pocono notebook, never again, I'll run out of gas before I pit. That was the, they, they're too hard to win. And we're never under no circumstances are we gonna be conservative because it's, it's, you can't win conservatively there, it never works. Um, so heading into 14, um, you know, the first one, as I said, we had a good car, not the best car. Brad had us beat. We were probably a little better than him, but it's very hard to get by. He had some trash on the grill. He drove up behind Danica Patrick. I remember I had given up. I thought, all right, this race is over. We're not going to get by. And there's only a handful of laps to go. And for some reason he panicked, got behind Danica to try to get the trash off his grill. 
got checked up and you know how much momentum plays a role there and instantly we kind of stuck by and got the win and then the the second race was um a lot of work during the week if people don't want to believe that hours and hours and hours and hours of breaking down um how far fifth place is behind the leader 10th place is behind the leader 15th place is behind the leader on lap one lap three lap five lap seven so when the opportunity opened uh we pitted i'll never forget we pitted under caution to take um four tires and knowing we had to come back in like three laps for gas and i told dale on the radio hey man this is the race you got to go right here he made a, a great restart ran two really fast laps we took our gas only and and um and the viral meme was made of me excited on top of the pit box that uh that a plan worked it was all about clearing the 24 off pit road uh, once we once we left pit road in front of the 24 at that point nothing's ever guaranteed but but that was the last chess match or the last chess move we were going to make from pit road that day. Iconic so much that also we also used uh, it's Pocono Sweep uh, as the uh, part of our commercial in 2015. So thank you very much for that radio chatter. Um, you know, talking about wins and your longevity at, at Hendrick Motorsports, um, you know, dominating, dominating uh, in the late 90s. A uh, little bit of a break and that cycle that is motorsports coming back from 2012, 2014, I think all four drivers in your camp won. Um, what made that organization so good at a track like Pocono? Well, you know, what Pocono delivers is opportunity to the crew chief, but what you have to have going to Pocono is the fundamentals of racing and that's horsepower and downforce. And those, those take a tremendous amount of drive, a tremendous amount of hours and a tremendous amount of money. And Mr. Hendrick, committed all three. He is in the business of racing to win. And it's never more on display than when you go to some of those big tracks, man, he's going to get down the straightaways, you're going to have the downforce. I tell everyone all the time, I worked there for almost 20 years. And the best part of my job is knowing that you had every nut, bolt and piece of equipment to win a race. And the toughest part of my job is knowing you had every nut, bolt and piece of equipment to win a race because it's humbling when you can't pull it off. Um, and it's really as simple as that. Uh, while it's very complicated to get there, it is, it is it's, it's much like Michigan. It's much like some of the other big high-speed tracks. If you don't have the horse, it doesn't matter how good your jockey is, it's not gonna work. The Mattioli family really prides itself on being, on creating such a welcoming atmosphere at the racetrack at Pocono. What, what kind of experiences do you recall um, as a professional going through, the, through that garage area, being there for the weekend and, and interacting with the Mattioli family? Well, I mean, the driver's meeting comes to mind uh, when Doc would, would be recognized in the driver's meeting, him and his wife and the family. Um, it was a good reminder of, of what NASCAR was built on. Uh, nothing can stay the same. And I'm not against the big corporations of owning multiple racetracks. And I understand that is required for things to move forward. But it was always great to go somewhere that felt a little different, that had that little feel. Uh, whether it was the spires in the grandstands or the family in the driver's meeting or my kids to this day still talk about the Saturday night fireworks at Pocono. Uh, they're 15 and 17 and they would go back to the Pocono playground and watch the fireworks all over again. And I think that says a lot that, um, you know, a track that could be known only for the shape of the track. And that's what I know it as because I was the crew chief. My kids couldn't even tell you it was a triangle. They didn't care. They were, they were little kids riding their bikes around the bus lot, but they know that there was a, uh, there was an ice cream truck in the bus lot and they knew there was fireworks and they knew that it was a family friendly uh, infield where there was always some activity for something to happen. And, 
you know, in a sport that takes all of your time and all of your weekends, that was a weekend while it was still work and still racing. It felt like a little bit of a family getaway because of just the majestic kind of setting up there in the hills. It's great. You know, and to that point too, Steve and I have talked at length about this, whether at the block party or at our fan fest, when we interacted as you being an analyst now, um, you know, I feel like too, from our conversations, even when I was, you know, back traveling the circuit in, in, in the late 2000s, uh, we had conversations that kind of Pocono had this kind of ebbs and flows, right? It was really this dominant place that everyone came out in droves and then kind of didn't necessarily advance with the times, but has really shot up in terms of fan amenities. You know, in, in addition to the stuff that your family has seen and from your personal experience, what are things that Pocono has done over the last 50 years to kind of elevate themselves back up into that upper echelon of a track you need to go see if you're a race fan? Well, I think the beauty with NASCAR, and this is an argument I get in with fans all the time, is it gives the opportunity for the race fan for something different. I equate it to golf. I mean, if you like manicured, beautiful golf courses, you need to go to Augusta. If you want tradition, you need to go to Pebble Beach or you need to go to Bethpage. Or you need to go somewhere different. If, or you can go maybe go across the pond and go to the British Open. You know, if you want, if you want lights out scoring, man, you need to go down to the Zurich Classic or, or go out to somewhere on the East Coast where they're going to have soft greens and going to be shooting at pins. And I say that because fans say, where should I go? I say, well, what do you want? No one should go to any racetrack only for the race. Uh, I mean, I think no one spends their entertainment money that way anymore. Uh, me included. So Pocono delivers a family atmosphere in a great setting, a welcoming infield, great racing, uh, the local arcade, the local lakes. There's, there's so many things in that area that I can't think of a better place to bring your family of four with a camper and hang out or stay at maybe one of the local bed and breakfast. There's just, it has a different feel. It's not Las Vegas. It's not a big uh, city market. Now, just down the street is New York City, right? So if that's your thing, stay in the city, drive out. I've done the drive. Uh, my kids have stayed in the city before on Broadway and, and watched some shows. It's, it's, it's remarkable how close it is to everything because if you choose not to leave, it can feel as far away from everything. And I think that's, that's some of the charm of Pocono. And now from the television side, I get to spend time outside the racetrack. And I just see the fans and the camping and the, just the um, the tailgating, to be quite honest, you know, it has these big widespread fields of fans that are parked on race day morning and they all have their flags flying and, and, um, you know, it has just a great atmosphere for a, for a good race. You made a career in this motor, in this, in this world of motorsports, um, as obviously the Mattioli family has the whole purpose of our conversation today is obviously embracing and celebrating Pocono Raceway. And I think you've done that very well and very eloquently. So thank you very much. Um, but in addition to that Pocono 50 years, um, you know, what is the track standing in the world of motorsports in your eyes for a person who's worked in it for so long? What makes Pocono, in my mind, have a first successful 50 years and probably another successful 50 years is it doesn't try to be like anyone else. And I think that is a key in this world. Um, Bristol's Bristol. Martinsville's Martinsville. Uh, Sonoma's Sonoma. Well, Daytona's Daytona and Pocono is Pocono. And, and I know that seems simple, but in today's world of, of playing catch up and social media and trying to be like everyone else, Pocono stands on its own two feet. Um, I think when they started embracing the triangle, embracing no turn four, embracing it's only three corners, embracing the oddity of the racetrack is when Pocono, in my mind, really started to become its own. It's always had that feel as a competitor. 
the family owned, and we've talked about it on this podcast a few times now, the family being around, the family atmosphere, that was unique. But what really adds to it is the simple fact that um, it doesn't try to be like anything else. It's its own track. It looks its own track. It races its own way. Um, it doesn't try to keep up with the Joneses on the new trick or the new this. It is what it is. And some of that confidence of being your own person or being your own racetrack makes it special. Well, I think you, uh, we were, we were in a chat between Zach and I, who's going to ask the next question. So we transitioned better. And, and, and he literally back, it's like, that might be the best Pocono ad I've ever heard. So, um, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll send, we'll send you along that check. Uh, but thank you very much for your time today, man. It's always great catching up with you. Um, and we'll see you up here in a couple of months for the NBC broadcast. So I'm looking I forward to seeing wait. you, buddy. Why not? If we're going to do double headers, I can't think of a better place. You talk about a weekend <laughs> full of fun. That's just another example of Pocono saying, you know what, pack your camper and come on out. We're going to give you two for one. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get to see it with fans this year. <laughs> Amen to that. Can't wait. All right, Thanks. guys. Thank you. Thanks, Stevie. We'll see you Appreciate soon, it, bud. Thank you. Thanks, Stevie. Robert.